Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. So today I want to talk about some shifts and changes that kids go through. And it's really helpful to be aware of this as a parent, because when you, when you can see it happening and you can deal with it in a really, really positive, lovely way, it helps children move through these transitions. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So there's a few uh, points where you're going to see behavior spiking, either anxiety or oppositional behavior spiking. And, and these are all kind of really normal phases. So the first one, obviously, which everyone knows is the terrible twos, right? So at two, kids are realizing, oh, I'm a separate person from my parents. What does that mean? How far can I push this? What does it mean to be a separate person? And at two, kids really have this idea that there's them and everybody else should think like they think. And if they want it, then everyone else should want it. Um, and what's, you know, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine is kind of the theme when you're two. There's also not much of a frontal lobe there. So it's all very reactionary and all um, kind of pushing back on the world and trying to figure out all those boundaries. The next age though, which I think is even more significant, which a lot of people don't talk about is the age of four. So four is where there's often a tremendous spike in anxiety because they're realizing, oh, I really, I'm not a baby. I'm turning into a sort of bigger kid. What does that mean? And you'll see some kind of weird behaviors at four, a lot of silliness, a lot of opposition, uh, a lot of you know pushing back. And four is actually a really challenging year, especially for boys. Um, and then there's the age of kind of six. Now, six is interesting because boys and girls at six really start being aware um, of, of who they are in the world and their place in the world and their place in the family. They're also, this is often a very typical age um, where girls, for example, will be all, you know, not all girls, but a lot of girls will be into Barbies and princesses and dressing up and tiaras and all of that stuff. And they're sort of exploring that whole world. And around six or seven, they will start to reject it often. I hate pink. I don't like Barbies. Barbies are stupid. Um, I don't want anything to do with that. But it's a very kind of conflicting time for them because deep down they still love that stuff and they want to play with it and they want to dress up and they want to be um, choosing pink as the color that they're painting with. Uh, but they start to feel like, oh, that's making me a baby. They suddenly become very aware that, oh, I need to be a, a big kid and I need to start to shed and move away from all the things that identify me as a baby. And with boys, you'll often see, you know, they won't, they, prior to this, loved dressing up as their favorite action heroes and all of that. They liked pretending in really intense ways. And they will often, they're usually a little bit behind girls. This, this often happens more at seven and eight for boys, but you'll start to see it a little bit. So here's the important part. You, I always say you're, you're not parents, you're substitute frontal lobes, right? Your job is to organize, prioritize, inhibit, motivate, which is the job of the frontal lobe. And the midbrain's job is to freak out and get upset. And you, so your job is to really provide that function for your children, but you have another job. 
And the other job is to be the protector of your children's childhood, right? Your job is to help them enjoy being six, enjoy being four, enjoy being nine, enjoy being 11 or 12. Um, there's enough time for them to be older. They have a, a lifetime to be adults. So your job is really to slow things down and to help them not try to race through childhood and enjoy and absorb and immerse themselves in the age that they're at. And so when it's the, what I call anti-Barbie stage, and it's like, I hate Barbies. Before you do the whole thing, we're like, what do you mean you love Barbies? And you're just, you're only little once. And before you do all that stuff, which a lot of us do as parents, um, you want to be sort of mirroring first. So what does that feel like? Because I, I sense that you're like really conflicted. Like part of you really wants to play with them and misses them. And the other part of you is like, no, I don't think that's what I want to do anymore when I get older. I don't want people to judge me and sort of get into their world a little bit get into their, um, their heads and just figure out what that conflict is about. And this is where you help your child pay attention to their own internal guidance system, because they will often feel an intense feeling in their gut of like, I really want to still play with this and I'm sad and I don't want to leave it, but I have to hate it so I can leave it. I have to decide it's stupid and it's babyish and it's dumb so that I can actually fit in with my friends who say they hate Barbies or they hate action figures. And so as you help them kind of tune into their own internal guidance system and you tell them, what is that feeling in your tummy? Is that feeling that you hate Barbies or is that feeling that you love Barbies, but you want to please your friends, right? And if that's the feeling, then it's okay to still play with Barbies. And so it's giving them permission it's giving them that strength to tune into their own internal guidance system so that they can actually be the age that they need to be. They'll have that internal confidence and that strength to play with Barbies anyway. Who cares? I don't care. Right? And, to, and to say to a friend, I don't care, I like Barbies. Uh, that's such a, a skill for a child to be able to have. And it comes through these deep and loving conversations with you, right? So the calm technique, go back to the earlier episodes of the podcast if you're not sure what that is. But getting into their world, walking around, having a visit, stay with them there, hold hands with them there, be present with them there, and then explore what's going on in the conflict, get them to tune into their own internal guidance system, and then make a decision. And if they really are over Barbies, if they're like, no, dad, I really, I really hate Barbies now. I, I, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. Then put the Barbies away. Barbies often come back, by the way. Um, and if they really like, if that melts into this beautiful moment, with I just don't really like Barbies and it's then great. That's amazing. You've helped them make this choice. So they don't have to abandon who they are in that moment in order to fit in with what they think a, a six-year-old or seven-year-old should do. And this exact scenario is going to play out in many different ways at many different times throughout your child's uh, life. So the next stage to really think about is eight or nine. Now, eight or nine uh, is, is really an interesting time. This is where they really are leaving the sort of typical childhood, the, the younger years, and they're really becoming aware that they're turning into big kids. And so you will often see a spike in, at eight years old in anxiety, for sure. A lot of, you can't make me do that, and you're not the boss of me, and I'm not doing it, and I'm not going. You'll suddenly see this pushback that you might not have seen at all in the younger years, or you, you haven't seen with such intensity in the younger years. 
And one of the things I want parents to do is not freak out in these moments and think, oh my God, my child's turning into a monster. It's, there, are these, there are these ebbs and flows in childhood where as they're you know, approaching these big transitions, you're going to see their whole body react. It also coincides with growth physical growth. You know, there's a lot going on in the body when kids go through a growth spurt. When their brain makes a huge neurological leap, there's often agitation and frustration and trouble sleeping when that happens. And you'll kind of see these ebbs and flows. So there's one more, two more little tidbits that you need to know at this age. Around six or seven, kids are sort of struggling with morality. You know, I want that thing. I want it. Therefore, it's mine. The other person should know that it's mine just because I want it. But also starting to learn that, you know, stealing is not okay. And there's rules for things and you can't just grab things from people. And they're really sort of grappling with both possessions and understanding what that means and also how to um, hold on to that impulse of, of knowing that they just can't always have everything that they see right away that's shiny and they want it. So it's very, very common at the age of six to see an increase in lying and an increase in stealing. Now I have two separate podcasts that go deeper into this, but I just want to kind of bring it to light in this developmental stage. And a lot of parents panic and think, oh my God, is my kid going to be a pathological liar? First of all, it's a sign of intelligence. <laughs> Second of all, it's really a, a pretty normal developmental stage. And you bring them back to the conversation that we, we that I referred to where you talk about your own integrity, right? Am I, is your child in their integrity or out of that their integrity? When they tell a lie, do they feel this kind of achy feeling in their stomach because they know they should, they're not telling the truth and there's more to the story and get them to tune into that then say, I love you. And I feel like there's a little bit more to this story. So I want you to go think about it. I want you to go see how your body's talking to you. Pay attention to that internal guidance system. If you got the yucky feeling in your tummy, that probably means you're not telling me everything or you're telling me something that's not true. I'm going to give you time to go think about it. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it later. And that's usually where you get the truth. So I have a whole um, podcast on that. And I go deeply into that in the, in the course as well. And, or, and when we work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, cause it can be very triggering for parents and, and cause a lot of anxiety, but just know that it tends to spike at the age of six. Um, the other thing that spikes at the age of six is stealing, pilfering, taking stuff. Um, very, very common at this age, you know, they want something, they have this impulse, they don't have the frontal lobe control to, to, to inhibit that impulse. And so in the pocket it goes, and they usually have some kind of fancy story. That's why lying and stealing goes together. Um, uh, and again, you're going to do the very same thing. You're, I mean, especially, you know, if something belongs to your child or not at that age. So, um, very similar way you get them to tune into their guidance system. What is your tummy telling you? You can talk about tummy talk. Uh, and usually it feels you're kind of happy that you have it, um, but they're also kind of feeling really yucky and, and bad inside. And there's this terrible feeling in their tummy that they know they've done the wrong thing. And usually when you have them think about that and tell them the only way to make that feeling go away, this is true with lying too, with stealing too. Sorry, this is true with lying too. The only way to make that yucky feeling go away, that cloud go away in your tummy is to tell the truth. And then again, give them time to think about it. And often saying things, this works later on with teenagers too, um, not with that sort of um, same kind of young language, but I'm going to give you time to do the right thing. I expect you to put that car or whatever you took on the counter and uh, and then we'll deal with it then, right? And you just don't make them hand it over. They, they often need some space and some privacy. And with teenagers, it might be that vape or whatever it is that you know that they have. Just have them put it on the counter 
and then you can discuss it later. So don't panic about that stage. It's pretty normal. If it persists and it's ongoing and it's really dominating the child's life and you're, you're hearing about this from multiple sources, that may be a time where you get some help. You get some parent coaching or you go see a child and family therapist. We deal with that all the time at Connected Parenting. Uh, but uh, most of the time, these are just sort of little flare-ups. And if you just love them through it and get them to pay attention to their own internal guidance system, um, it's a stage and they usually grow right through it. So eight is another time where you're going to see this. This is where you really want to up your game with the calm technique. You know, people sort of think, oh, you know, calm is amazing and it's a great way to deescalate. And that's really where the medicine is. No, I mean, it's wonderful. That's just the bonus though. When you um, deeply connect with your children, when you're having these beautiful conversations or when you're just literally connecting over whether or not there's chocolate milk in the fridge, right? The kid goes and says, ah, who drank the chocolate milk? Somebody ate it. It's terrible. That was mine. Instead of going, well, you did. And you're lucky to have it in the first place. And before you do that, you just say, I know, right? Oh, I hate that feeling when I'm going to the fridge and I think something's there and I can't wait to have it. And then it's gone. And then just walk out of the room. It doesn't have to be this huge thing all the time. Those lovely little connected moments, those, those beautiful little conversational moments, um, that's the medicine. That's the medicine. And that's what's going to help your child through these ebbs and flows of childhood. So this is a big topic and it's a big roadmap. So I think I'm going to end it here and then I'll continue from like 11 and up because I want to leave enough time for the teenage years. And I want to make sure that people can still focus because there's a lot going on in all of these years. And I think it's really important to have the roadmap. So come back and join me next time. I'll do the second half of the roadmap of childhood. Don't forget that we've got um, our parenting course, which is an amazing community where we could dive deep into all of these issues. We've got our role-playing playground, which is a really amazing place to go and, and meet other parents guided by connected parenting therapists, where you can practice the calm technique and talking about all these different issues that your kids are going through and find out that you're certainly not alone. Um, we've got the books and we've got the mental health comedy podcast, which I think people will really enjoy, which is more adults, um, where we talk about mental health. We interview famous comedians and, uh, entertainers and get into their heads a little bit because mental health is a practice. So we will see you next time.